0: This is a lot to learn with Austin Rogers. For the guy who knows everything, he's still got a lot to learn. Without further ado, here's Austin. Welcome, welcome. Welcome. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night. I have no idea what time it is. This is a podcast you're listening to it whenever. We've got an awesome, awesome, awesome one today because we have Tim Armacost, hello, an hello. acclaimed, hello, hello. An acclaimed jazz saxophonist who has one of the most eclectic backgrounds to date, it I believe be I, I, I believe that I believe that is you. Tokyo, D.C., Amsterdam, Mumbai—you've lived, grown up, experienced all these places, but you're still doing jazz. Mm-hmm. How do these cultural backgrounds?
1: Let's just walk through the life. Uh-huh. Let's start it. Well, I was I was born in California, and my dad was a professor at Pomona College, where I eventually went to college many years later. Uh, and he took his first sabbatical in Tokyo. So he'd been a political science um, professor, and the way he describes it is is he wanted to have an adventure. He got an offer to, to teach in Tokyo for a year, and this happened to be 1968 when the student uprisings happened. Right. So we were there in this fascinating time. And the kids were taking over the buildings. I remember I was a little five-year-old running around this campus, and the, the students had taken over the buildings, and it was this wild atmosphere. And so my dad didn't have to teach that much, so we just adventured around Japan while the students were having their revolt. And, uh, and that certainly gave me, you know, I was five, so, so that gave me a taste for adventure. I just was a little kid who was plopped into a different culture, and, and, and that was nor- normal as far as I was concerned. At that point, and so, so my dad and and our family traveled all around Japan, saw, and really fell in love with the country, and um, and then, the way he describes it is, he got an offer to go to to Washington to be a White House fellow, uh, a uh, you know an internship at the White House, and he thought. I've been teaching about political science. It'd be nice to go to Washington and find out if what I've been teaching is actually what happens in Washington. And sure enough, it wasn't. <laughs> so <laughs> We're going to
0: refrain from comment on the current then, climate right now. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we are. We're
1: going to keep it positive and happy today. Uh, so he joined the Foreign Service and, and kind of bounced around f- through some different agencies in Washington as I was growing up. so And then we were posted to, to Japan again when I was 10 and 11. So that was, I was a little older at at 11 and started learning the language. And I went to the American school in Tokyo, but started learning the language and actually started playing the clarinet while we lived in japan
0: so you began with clarinet in tokyo
1: so tokyo has just been a part of like the important decisions in my life often have happened in tokyo
0: right and uh i mean clarinet to saxophone is a no-brainer
1: i mean yeah especially when your little brother is out blowing you (laughs) what did what did he play he started on alto very talented really he, he just took it just took to it like a fish to water. I was playing melodies and improvising within days. But you you had to work at it. I could not be defeated (laughs) on the clarinet, so I picked up the tenor, which is, you know, another third as big as an alto and took my place among the sibling (laughs) rifle. There there we go. I want to note that Tim and I are coming
0: to you live from the Ignition Room on 89th uh, between Central Park West and, what's that over there? Columbus. And uh, it's a fantastic place for corporate retreats. It is a full Serviced townhouse that you can just rent and take over for whatever you need.
1: Pretty cool place, right? Beautiful place. I uh, used to live in this neighborhood.
0: Actually. Oh, did you? I wish I lived in this neighborhood, but I do not have Upper West Side money. I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. We got you. Uh, we got you on clarinet. Now you moved over to tenor, mm-hmm. and now you go to Amsterdam for actual schooling, right?
1: No, I, oh. I actually had graduated from college uh, uh-huh. when I got when I went back to Pomona uh, outside of Los Angeles to. Go to go to college. I met Charlie Schumake, who was the kind of teacher who taught me the grammar of jazz. The the when you were studying clarinet uh-huh. in Tokyo, I'm assuming you were
0: classical. Yeah, you know, band. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Uh, right. School band. Yeah. Exactly. Because yeah. that's usually how you start. You know. And in,
1: in high school, I did play in the orchestra on clarinet, and right. occasionally on the saxophone when they'd play Prokofiev, Shostakovich. Sometimes there'd be a little bit of saxophone in there.
0: Yeah. Right. So like in my in my orchestra, because I did Suzuki method, you know, yeah, you? violin, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star," mm-hmm. "Lightly Row," all of those ones, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, you started in you started at strings at kindergarten yeah. you started band at third grade, third grade or something like that second and, third, yeah. and then like sixth or seventh grade band if you were good at band you moved over into an orchestra orchestra right. it was like all string strings and winds were separate forever Yeah, yeah. and then finally only the only the best winds Came together into the orchestra yeah, in around ninth or tenth grade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So exact same exact same methodology. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when when did uh, when did jazz kick in?
1: Uh, I heard so at this American school in Tokyo, it was a kindergarten through twelfth grade school. Mm-hmm. So there was a stage band, a jazz band in the high school, and I, I'll never forget this moment. Uh, you know, in retrospect, it seems like a pretty big turning point in my life at the time i was just like a moth attracted to a flame i was out playing you know at recess in fifth grade as a little kid and the stage band was playing a, a noon concert in the high school lunch room i heard that music and i just i just had to go i just had to go hear that music i went down and sat down right in front of the saxophones and skipped school that was my first time skipping class I was in 5th grade you were still in school but you were just but skipping I the rest did, of school. I did not go back to class <laughs> whatever it was I was supposed to do at that point I did not do I sat and listened to that band until the concert was over and that was definitely a moment of, of you know looking back now oh that's what I want to do what was
0: it? Do you remember what tunes they were playing? Uh, uh,
1: Norwegian Wood was one of them. What? Yeah, a, a,
0: j- a jazz band arrangement uh, of Norwegian uh, Wood? A really
1: nice sounding one. And I actually recorded that tune on my first album as a leader. That's how deep that went. Oh! Uh, if I thought about it, I could think of another couple that they played.
0: Hey, I'm pretty cool with Norwegian yeah, Wood. Norwegian I was mean, the one that's that that's out. gonna yeah. that'll kick me in too. You know. Yeah. Uh, So, so you're, you're fifth grade and now, now we've got, now we've got jazz on the mind and you've already moved to tenor sax, right?
1: Not yet. I was, uh, that was kind of when I, when I first became fascinated by jazz, when I was really attracted to it. And my dad was a, was a, um, uh, a diplomat, as I said, but he's, he's, he loves jazz music. We had we had Phil Woods and Oscar Peterson and Ray I Charles. love Oscar Peterson. Some people like that around the house. So it was in the atmosphere already. And I'd switched to tenor around age 15. Right. Back in Washington. And uh, then Pomona College. Pomona College. And that was where I met Bobby Bradford, who, who studied with John Coltrane and Ornette Coleman. Uh, didn't study with... Not like they were his teachers, but studied with, meaning they practiced together. They They were contemporaries. They were practitioners. And Bobby, in fact, Ornette called Bobby for the famous gig at the Five Spot in New York City. I think that was 1959, 60, 61. I forget exactly which year that was. Uh, And he couldn't make the gig cuz he was he was on the GI bill in college in Texas. Right. And his professor said, "Well, you know, you can go do that gig but you're not going to get your degree." And he had a, a wife and a kid at that point and he he decided to stay in Texas. So Don Terry wound up doing that gig and the rest is history on that right, front.
0: Right because look at that lineup right there. Unbelievable. I mean, and that was that was that was before Giant Steps, right?
1: Right around the same time,
0: right? Fifty nine. So, I so think the, it was
1: all fifty nine sixty.
0: So this is like Ornette's coming out party, right?
1: Oh yeah, that yeah. was the because Coltr- Yeah,
0: band. right. Because Coltrane's already. We already got Coltrane. Yeah. He's already. He's already been gigging with Miles and everything like exactly. that. And he's got a couple albums under his belt at this time. A whole bunch. Yeah, and now that was that was Ornette's coming out party, That's right?
1: right? And and. Coltrane was forward-thinking enough that he recognized... You know, while the critics were destroying Ornette and saying oh, yeah. terrible music and Oh, all yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Coltrane said, this guy's on something. I'm going to practice with him. I mean, uh, harm is just wild stuff. Yes, it is.
0: Uh, you know what? Let's... This is something I'm fascinated uh-huh. about. I only know a cursory uh-huh. uh, knowledge of it. Uh, you know what? We're just going to deviate full Why wholesale. Not? Let's talk about melodics, mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk about the jazz philosophy of Ornette Coleman, if if you're interested in it, because he does not operate in a standard way. No, he does not.
1: He, in fact, it's interesting. I, I teach a jazz history course. Uh, uh, the lineage of the saxophone, right, over at Queens College, and we've just been talking about Ornette this week, so it's perfect timing.
0: Perfect timing. So, you know, typically a tune is made out. You know, the 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 songwriter, uh, he writes the melody, and uh, maybe he works with a pianist, or he writes the charts himself, mm-hmm. and he lays down the harmonies, yep. and then you work from it from there. Yeah. Coleman goes backwards.
1: Well, what he what or, this is
0: my understanding.
1: What he started with was that what you know he was as as enamored of Charlie Parker as everybody else. Mm-hmm. When he first came out, when he first came on, he saw the the power of what Charlie Parker was doing in the in the high art of bebop. Right, and and yet he's a guy who just didn't want to operate within an orthodoxy, and, and at that point, you know, fifty five and later, bebop had become. The music of the day so ornette is just my impression is that he's the kind of guy who who is like well that's how everybody else is doing it. i'm doing this my way and that's what you're supposed to do you're supposed to do it your own way right so as he saw a whole bunch of people coming out trying to imitate charlie parker he was like well that's i'm not charlie parker i'm gonna play who i am so he started his first recording has walter norris on piano and they're actually playing songs but he's playing his idea of what a melody would sound like right. over a standard song. Right. And, and improvising with his own language. He's not, he's not speaking the language of Charlie Parker and the beboppers. He's, he's saying, you know, this is how I hear it. I'm following my ear. And he, in a very short span of time, about three years, he went, he went from releasing the music, releasing himself from trying to play like everybody else to then releasing the whole band from having to play a song form right to releasing the everybody playing into just simply listening to each other and playing whatever they're hearing yeah and he of course had great musicians like Charlie Hayden and Billy Higgins yeah Don cherry so they're they're able to listen to each other and relate to each other uh, without and have it sound like something without it having to, to have this this structure that's that's set
0: yeah so talk talk a little bit about there is a structure, but what is it? How are you moving around through all of these harmonies yeah. without the charts? Are
1: you are you aware of the of course you are because you're cause you're Austin. <laughs> <laughs> are you aware of the Matisse jazz cutouts? Yes, of course. Okay, so yeah. so what Matisse what he arrived at after painting figuratively and and, and evolving through the the, the different ways of using color and line, yep. was with a pair of scissors and a piece of colored paper, he could improvise with line and color at the same time. With the scissors. Yeah. See what I mean? aha uh-huh. okay. So making a line. I, I, I
0: mean, I'm, f- I'm very familiar with them, and I studied that, beautiful. but I, I didn't, I didn't, and he was wheelchair-bound at that point. Was he? Yeah, that was the only thing he could do. Uh-huh. So he was wheelchair-bound as he was cutting those out. I didn't know that. And yeah. he had his assistant's paste them Pacing on.
1: Him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you think about that idea, all right. what, what, what Ornette is doing is he's improvising with harmony and melody at the same time.
0: Color is the harmony. The line is the melody. The melody exactly. And so he's doing... That is an amazing analogy. That is an amazing analogy. Because, <laughs> yeah. An uh, yeah, you're still going to make a figure... Exactly. But it, how you get to the
1: figure yeah. is how it happens. And 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 Ornette's melodies are deeply rooted in the blues and 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 they're not bound to a key. He's just is he's just Whatever he's hearing in his mind, he's directly putting it into the saxophone.
0: I mean, like and what? What's the um, what's the first track off of uh, Shape of uh, Jazz to Come? But what was that one? Lonely Woman. I think it's Lonely Woman. Yeah, I just I remember the first time hitting hitting that because I was like, oh, uh-huh. uh, I was you know you have the kind of blue, you have the Mingus Ah uh, um, mm-hmm. you have the Giant Steps, yeah. and then someone goes are you? ready? Yes. yes, And someone, and someone goes, ri- are you ready for this? I'm like, yeah, I'm ready for this. Oh no, I wasn't ready for that. I, I, that was, I, I still to this day when I put that album on, I'm like, what is happening here? It's so mind blowing. It's, it's deep. <laughs> it, it, it is, it is. And, uh, and I, I wish I had more English no, to describe I know, and the I, incredibleness I don't, of that music. I, I don't want to sound like the two white bearded guys being like, man, <laughs> this music really moves Whoa, me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, because we could we could really quickly degrade into some hardcore stereotypes yes, right now.
1: Yes, we could. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, it kind of relates back to my biography where we took a tangent from, which was when I first heard that music. Yeah, I also wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready for the freedom of it. I was, I was into Sonny Rollins and that, that was, you know, hard bop, the, the next the incredible next thing. Yeah. after bebop, Exactly. Right? Yeah. And that was really what guided my, my aesthetic interest at that point. And, and so I wasn't ready for that level of freedom. And then, uh, my wife and I moved to, to New Delhi in 1991 or two, two, 1992. And after living in, in India for maybe three or four months, I'd been in an environment, we'd, we'd been hearing a lot of Indian music. Right. And there's no piano most of the time. You, know, there's, you, don't, you don't hear piano mostly, and certainly not in traditional Indian, Hindustani classical mm-hmm. music, which is what we were hearing. And so I had been in this environment of no piano and and. And no harmony, really. They
0: the drone, yeah. The
1: rag. You yeah. have a set of notes, and you have a drone. Exactly, and it you, doesn't change key. You've right? got you've got your scale, and you stick to it. You know, yeah. And 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 as a result of that, the melodic improvisation is on an extremely high level. Right, as is the rhythmic. Right. But they don't do this stuff with harmony. They don't that do that the I harmonic. With yeah. And had been very preoccupied with up to that point. So I'm there in India, and I put on that record, The Shape of Jazz to Come. Yeah. Lonely Woman comes on and my, and my wife Nikki, she goes, what is that music? She came from the where, the, the other room. She, she came walking into the room. What is that music you're playing? And I said, yeah, I know. This stuff is incredible. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I was open. You know, my, my ears were ready for it. When I heard it, when I was ready for it, it, of course, totally changed my life.
0: So, so how now let's talk about how this informs your music because now you You've you've already traveled the world. You uh you were at conservancy you taught conservancy in Amsterdam, correct? Amsterdam, yeah. And now you're in Delhi, and now you're you're at school, you Mm you start with Parker, you move on to Rollins, and then your mind is blown by uh, Coleman, Mm -hmm. and now you're in India. Mm -hmm. How does how does this melange (laughs) uh, (laughs) what a what a douchey word? Melange. (laughs) How does this cultural milieu... (laughs) How does this... how does this hodgepodge? There we, there go. we go. There's a yeah, nice Anglo-Saxon word. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the hodgepodge <laughs> is probably like uh, probably like from 400 AD and there like in uh, in, in, Scotland in somewhere. yeah some Saxon some Saxon <laughs> Hamlet. Um, how does this hodgepodge inform your jazz tradition? Your your the
1: the shape of your jazz to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the the inspiration for my. Most recent recording as a leader was that very tune, uh, "Lonely Woman." Oh, it was! Wow. So I interestingly just, interestingly well, I just brought you that zeroed up. right in uh, on that's, it. that's Well, yeah.
0: I'm, 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 quite chuffed with that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, I was sitting quietly and had a had a uh, had a vision. Sounds too, you know. I'm very fancy. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a, I had an idea that that I could make a recording of a song, "Lonely Woman." Uh, well, here's here's kind of what it was. It's sort of like a waking dream. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. I was, I was uh, imagining I'm in a jazz club, and the drummer is. It's kind of like a movie scene, and the drummer is playing along, and and he's just he just completely in what he's doing he absolutely loves the feeling of what he's doing just by himself he's maybe practicing or he's or he's yeah thinking about something getting ready for that night's gig say and and over next to that the bass player and i are teaching each other How we like to play the melody of "Lonely Woman." So, drummer's just going, yeah, yeah. He's just in his world, yeah. And I say to the drummer, "Here's," I mean, to the bass player, and it was Bob Hurst I had in mind. I said, "Like uh huh eh uh 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 uh." Now you play it like that, and I ask him to play it in the phrasing that I used, right? And then he, and then we go through the melody a little ways, and then he does that. Back to me. Oh, that's nice, but I like it like this. And meanwhile, and imitate the that. drummer's in the reverie still. He's just back in his own world. Yeah. And meanwhile, while we're engaged in this dialogue about the melody, we're starting to tune into how much love is happening from the drummer. And one of us wants to go over there and play with him and but we got this job to do. So the tension of the performance comes from we're trying to do this job over here but we really want to be over there playing with the drummer. <laughs> and and I had never I'd never separated the musicians away from each other in that way in a performance and had the tension come from wanting to get back together. Right, because, you know, we throw the bass and drums together.
0: We throw the bass, drums, and piano together. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the winds and horns, they do their own thing yeah, or above it.
1: Yeah, often above, yeah, it, above exactly.
0: it. Yeah, above it, yeah. With it, but above it. Sort yeah. of, there's a there's a little jazz classes system going on right now. Well, that's interesting, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, because you always, you, you think of... You know, mm. in the jazz in the jazz trio, yeah. the piano has got the lead. Right. And then the bass and the drums, they get their time to shine.
1: And they're holding it down in the meantime.
0: Exactly. Yeah. But once you add someone on top of the piano, mm-hmm. the piano automatically, in my mind, hovers straight to the, the bass and drums, right. and the, the three of them become a tight component. Exactly. And now we've got the other echelon who does... Yeah, not the heavy lifting because the heavy lifting is kept by the rhythm the section. Bass Ex- yeah, yeah, let's yeah, let's yeah, give yeah. the bass player his due.
1: The heavy lifting uh, is what the bass
0: player does. <laughs> uh, yep, the bass player, uh, bassists don't get enough, <laughs> they do they? Because no, that is that is a, an eccentric bunch. I, they are. They're so weird. Bass players are so weird. <laughs> you <gotta> love them because <laughs> uh, bass players are always bass players. It's yeah. never like someone was like, "Oh, I played guitar and then I moved to bass." It's like, no, I started as a bass player,
1: and they're they're kind of like catchers. Yeah, they in are catchers. Baseball? The ca- catchers are often a very similar kind of personality, similar kind of body type also. Yeah, That's I, so
0: I was just uh I I was just watching um yesterday the uh uh, uh the one game playoff, the Cubs uh Cubs uh, Brewers, Brewers, yeah and uh, Brewers One, right? Yeah, Brewers won. And um one of the announcers said uh, the interesting thing about the catcher is you gotta you gotta have a you gotta have a strange mentality to be the catcher. Yeah. Cause everyone's facing one direction <laughs> except, except the catcher. Yeah. Oh, and I never thought of that. Right. I'm like, wow, thanks yeah. sportscaster. I forgot who it was, but I'm like, <laughs> yes, that's actually, that's right. And sort of yeah. in the, in the jazz world, everyone's sort of facing one way except the bassist. Yeah. you know,
1: he's holding it down. He
0: is. Cause you can't, you can't mess around with the bass line. Right. You know?
1: And he's, he's combining both rhythmic and harmonic functions. Yes. So he's really critical. Yeah. He's, he's really the glue for everybody.
0: The drummer, he can vacillate in, vacillate out, come back and
1: forth, mm-hmm. but boom, boom, yeah. boom. I, I've, I've had the great good fortune to play with Billy Hart quite a bit, one of the master drummers still with us. Uh, still with us i shouldn 't put it like that he 's like he 's like out there touring and and playing all the time he 's just a he 's a force of nature and a guy who I really love uh, One of the things I learned from him is that is that he, as the drummer, one of the things he likes to do is release a little bit from what he 's doing and just let the bass player hold it down for a mm-hmm. as a saxophone player, that feels like the carpet 's coming out from under you if you 're focused on the drummer so you' got to have a little mental mind shift you got to I had to learn to listen to the bass player more closely so that when Billy started to let things float a little bit, if I needed to find something solid, you know where the core is go for the bass I, that was one of the really important things he taught me
0: yeah i mean that's actually that 's a great insight because i I do not play jazz mm. I played you know classical uh-huh. and you uh-huh. know guitar and mandolin and stuff like that, uh-huh. right um and yeah, when you played in groups, uh, be it f- rock music or, or classical music, uh, you went to the drums. You don't yeah. listen to the bass. That's
1: certainly the way I grew up. And, and I'm fascinated with rhythm. That's what I studied in India. So that was my natural inclination, is to, is to relate to the drummer first, the, bass, the piano player next, and the bassist last and playing with Billy helped me to learn to hear things more in balance. Right. I I, I sort of like that philosophy. Let's go. Let's like
0: like let's listen to the bassist because, yeah. you know, piano's laying down rhythm, but also, you know, when it's when it's when it's time to lay back, pretty sparse, junk. Right. Junk junk. Yeah. You
1: know, stuff like that. And the bass is going to be in there. He's that still he's still going to be in the in the groove. Yeah. And kind of where the music has been going the last 20 years, well, one of the directions the music has been going is to is to have the the pulse, the beat be more implied than actually stated. Right. So you really have to be strong with your own internal metronome, yep, to be able to to function in that environment where even the bass player is implying the beat rather than really articulating it. So, learning to learning to hear the music more in balance was was really a big step for me in in being able to play the music more as a whole, as opposed to just playing the saxophone in the song.
0: When jazz, I actually never thought of this before. Mm. When jazz musicians are are taking their bars, are you guys actually counting how many you're taking? No, the, the, the ideal is that the I mean cuz you're doing 6 like in, in you know you're taught you do 16s and 32 yeah. oops sorry no nope, no nope, that's, that's just, just we just lost the headphones know, we didn't back. actually lose the microphones <laughs> that's good uh, you, you know you're taught oh you take you know t- you take a middle yep. 16 you mm-hmm.
1: take a 32 or something like that mm-hmm. you're not actually counting 16s and 32s are you um uh, i am not counting them but i definitely always know where i am really yeah. and and one of the this is a this brings up uh, an interesting story from a, a great bassist in Boston called John Lockwood. When I was younger, when I, just shortly after I moved to New York, I got to make a recording with him. And the music that we were recording was a little bit on the edge. And, and so we were rehearsing it and it was getting...
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot
1: messed up a lot and John said at a certain point he said yeah you know when the music gets a little dicey and and a little messed up that's when I really like it and I looked at him I was like what are you talking about I hate that feeling it makes me so uncomfortable and he said yeah but but when the music gets gets a little weird and people start to come come apart from each other their antenna go up and they're trying to find each other and now they're feeling their way through the music and that's what I like. So, is there, is, is there an innate John Lockwood? Uh, yeah. So, so I uh, you know
0: what's been funny about you know uh, doing the podcast is huh? I've found that a natural full conversation that has a huh? beginning, middle, and end uh-huh. they typically run. 47 minutes. Uh-huh. After that, you're like, unless it's like a really good friend of yours, and yeah. you're like, blah, 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 uh-huh. blah, and you could do that for forever, yeah. but like a typical conversation, mm-hmm. so... With an arc. It, so you feel when you've surpassed yeah. the arc, you're like, oh, we've been going too long, we've been going too long.
1: or, Or... Here it comes, here comes the end. I see it coming and as a saxophone player I'll usually kinda hint at the melody at that point. Right. Oh I see the okay, I see my way out of this story and then I'll I'll give some I'll give some cues, some clues and some cues to the to the band to let them know that I'm coming out. Right. If I do that skillfully that gives the drummer the chance to really punctuate the end of my solo with something something dramatic and yep. the audience gets to And cheer. now we get it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now we now we
0: get the round of applause. If the drummer sets them up for a <laughs> right. really well. Yeah, Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Count on him for that. <laughs> Jazz is so it's just not a my I mean. I could do mental gymnastics in, like, verbal things. Mm. As I say, verbal things. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm mentally gymnasticky. <laughs> uh, they're magically delicious. Um, Fantastic. Oh, I, I, I did imbibe a little bit last <laughs> night. So I'm, uh, <laughs> uh, I, typically, typically most of these start with me saying, I drank a lot last nice. night. <laughs> um, you no, know, I, I mean, I could, do, I could do the mental gymnastics to, like, you know, be funny or, like, like th- think something out. But I can't, I, you know, even, like, even though I play like mandolin mm-hmm. and, and, and guitar and stuff, yeah. someone's like, hit a solo. And I'm like, dink. All right, there we go. Like, <laughs> or, or, or just straight arpeggios. I'm like, oh, we're in D. Now we're in G. Now we're back in D now again. Back to D. Because the, that's what I know. Yeah. Um, when, when, as a jazz musician, when you're, um, when you're going off, and uh you're, you're you mean like when i'm getting angry at somebody no no <laughs> uh, do you play angry does that help <laughs> it does happen <laughs> um when you're when you're when you're soloing are you going through like a mental catalog of your you know the scales and the quotes you want to throw in or is it is it learned is it innate is it in the middle i don't know yeah. how jazz works that's
1: a really interesting question uh ideally when, 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 everything is, is, when everything lines up just right, and this doesn't happen every day, when the sound is good, when you can hear everybody in balance, when you feel relaxed, when you've had enough to eat, when you didn't have to travel too much that day, ev- when everything comes together and everybody feels really good and everybody's hearing each other, then the music, then what I'm doing is simply singing through the saxophone. Je, nothing but that. I don't, yeah. I don't have to think about anything. All I have to do is 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 listen to the melodies, listen for the melodies from wherever they come from and try to deliver them straight through the saxophone. And when that's happening and everybody's doing it together, then the audience always un- understands. The audience because it's so exciting, it's kind of a miracle when when that happens because it's so exciting for the people who are playing it. The inspiration just just you know, flashes off the bandstand, and the audience responds to that. So that's the ideal situation. It's just it's just flowing out, and you don't and you you just try to get out of the way and let it happen.
0: Right, but of course you cannot do that without decades of schooling. You know, I mean you gotta or, yeah. or pra- exactly. practice and training. You know? exactly. No, I'm not saying you you don't need you do not need traditional schooling but you need a you need you need to go to school you know what i mean
1: absolutely there's a, i mean there's i said use the word grammar a while ago it's there is a grammar to the music and mm-hmm. there and there there are rules and you have to know the rules before you can successfully break them so that's part of the part of the thing you're doing also is is recognizing what's happening around you and and making decisions about whether to go with that or go against it or relate to it or comment on it you know there's a lot of different ways you can go it's it's very similar to a conversation also we're we've been improvising for the last whatever minutes right we don't know what the other guy's gonna say we're just improvising together
0: right that's, oh, what we're doing that's a good day. that's a really good analogy yeah. when uh, how and bringing that up um what happens when you're in an ensemble and you guys don't gel mm. what if you're not friends what if your professional huh. relations mm-hmm. i mean it, does friendship help Or, yeah,
1: Yeah. most, most definitely you, you, in order for, in order for that sort of egoless, egoless experience to happen in its ideal way, you have to be comfortable. You have to feel like that you can trust the people you're playing with. Yeah, because you have to give up. Also to take a risk, you have to be able to trust the guys you're playing with to pick you up if you, if you go too far.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, you, you have to know when to be quiet, you know, and let them take the lead. Yeah. But you can also you also have to know to recognize you're a little off right now. I'm going to catch up for you.
1: Hey, uh, could somebody uh, bridge? Is this the bridge coming up? Yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Thank you. We should pick okay, that up back yeah. together. Yeah. But you asked what, it, what about when you don't when like When you don't like, like someone. No names. I don't need names. <laughs> Roy Hargrove. <laughs> <laughs> that was Austin's
0: voice, by the way. That was not my voice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Roy Hargrove.
1: I don't um. know why he came up. I improvised <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's when that's when maybe your professionalism and your training come more into play, and you and you just do your you do what you know is going to work, and you still might try to take some risks. I, I know no matter what the situation is, I'm still going to try to play a hundred percent for the music. Yeah, I may not be all that happy with one of the guys I'm playing with. It doesn't happen very often, to be honest, but once in a while. Uh, but I can always still play with 100% for the music. And I, and that, that'll that kind of work for you in any situation. Because, like, the orchestra
0: environment... Ooh, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> orchestra. Politics. Oh,
0: my God. Right? <laughs> and I only played as far as, like, college orchestra. Mm. And I'm like, wow, why are you really gunning for that first chair? Mm. I'm really happy in the back in the viola section. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, like, I... I that was just so bizarre. Like I, I want to be concert master. I'm like, why? So yeah. you get to tune everyone.
1: <laughs> right. That, that actually uh, was one of the reasons I switched to saxophone. One of the other reasons I switched to saxophone was cause, cause the two girls who were, I was the first chair of clarinet, uh-huh. in the probably seventh or eighth grade band. And the two girls who were sitting next to me, I guess to my right, they went to sac- they went to clarinet camp uh-huh. and they came back and, in September and they you know, were awesome. They were great. <laughs> I'd just been, you know, playing tennis or whatever, and having fun at the pool all summer. And I was, I was a, I was a second
0: violinist and uh-huh. like seventh or eighth grade or something <laughs> along those lines. Uh, <laughs> they go, we don't have enough violists. Uh-huh. Anyone yeah. want to move from violin to viola? Yeah, I'll and do I, go, that. I don't know. I go, can I see the part? And I'm like, Eighth note, eighth note, eighth note, eighth no, eight note, eight no, eight no, eight note, eight no, eight no, eight no, eight no, eight no, eight no. I'm like done. You can do that. I I'm your man. I never have to practice again. And spoiler alert, I didn't. Yeah, Yeah. Except for except for uh Beethoven and Hindemith, they had a thing uh-huh. out for violists. Uh-huh. They, they definitely did. They uh-huh. did not mess around with the violists. But pretty much anyone else, they're like, who needs to play the third of the chord? Let's just give it to the violist. There we go. <laughs> Cellos and basses, you got that. Violins, you go do your 16th and 32nd notes. Violas, Ooh,
1: where, where is that E flat? <laughs> no, kind of another similar egoless place or 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 lazy (laughs) lazy definitely
0: lazy there's no ego there's no ego in violists. it's like i really love music i really love playing it but not enough to fight for it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the first thing a violist does when they leave their college symphony orchestra is sell their viola
1: (laughs) sad but true
0: i know i i haven't i haven't touched (laughs) it in years i i I, i'd actually probably still be fine because it's the viola it's not hard
1: (laughs) You're offending a lot of violists out you, there today. Well,
0: you know what? I I think it's offensive <laughs> that you chose to be a violist.
1: Oh <laughs> man! Oh man! I just got stuck in that one. <laughs> <laughs> there's,
0: uh, funny. there's no, there's no, uh, there's no Itzhak Perlman of viola. Funny, although Itzhak yes. Perlman did play viola. <laughs> It's true. I guess I can't name a famous viola. I don't think you can name it. You got, you got, oh, Yo Yo Ma played the big viola, right? <laughs> That's what it's called, right? The big viola. Oh my God. Where were we? I don't even know. Okay. You've been on the road forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just, but you still hold down these academic gigs too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's what's the balance between the two? Which one? What's the pros and cons of each? You know, is being the road warrior the hot shit, or is it like,
1: oh, I get to wake up and have my coffee and mm. go to my academia? I mean, yeah, eh. I think for me that that was a natural uh, progression from ha- deciding to have a family. I I love being on the road. I love playing music live. I love improvising in front of people. That for me, that's definitely the the uh, I was going to say my bread and butter, but <laughs> the bread and butter part of it is sometimes not, a, not what you'd like it to be <laughs> in the performing world, but, uh, but that is definitely my staple. I, I live for that. I get up in the morning, I want to I start playing. Right. Uh, and I love to teach. I, I love um, showing people how to do it. I, love, I, I, I have a pretty good knack for being able to listen to somebody play and give them something practical they can do. A lot of teachers get stuck in in sort of theorizing. Are you a performance teacher? or Or, okay. I teach saxophone and I coach uh, ensembles at Queens College. Got it. And then once in a while, every couple of years, I do a saxophone lineage history course. Nice. That is really hard work. Doing the the history course is really hard work. The other stuff, I feel like, as I say, I kind of have a knack for, for being able to identify something practical, something simple that somebody can do. To become a better improviser. Right. And I find that not, it's natural for me. So I, l- I love that process of helping somebody to take a few steps that are going to help them get better. And I also like that kind of work because I'm engaged with the saxophone and the music. Yeah. So it's a way of working um, where I can help pay the bills and also do something that's you know, in the arena of inspiration. It's not just, it's not just work. It's still playing and fun and beautiful for me and then and then
0: but then hitting the road what's that like
1: yeah so so once we had kids i needed to find a way to balance the amount of time that i went away and i didn't i didn't actually try to reduce my touring schedule but i tried to do my best to to shape it so that i would be gone for two weeks with three weekends start on a Friday end on a Sunday two weeks later mm-hmm. that way you have three weekends and two weeks that's enough time to be out there getting to something substantial in music it's enough time to make a bit of money and and I would find that two weeks after two weeks on the road, I could still come back and, and pretty smoothly reintegrate with the family. Right. Once it got further than that, then the burden I could really feel on the phone. You know that my wife is feeling the burden <laughs> of having to do everything. Right. At home, right. You know, right. Right. Then then it leads to feelings of guilt and should I be out here and and have I got this right? So that's. And then you know, I, sometimes somebody just calls me for a gig. Can you can you come make this gig? It's a it's a yes or no. I can't say well, you know, I have got kids and all. That. They don't need they don't need to know anything. Yeah, 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 It's yeah, not yeah, their yeah, concern. Yeah. So sometimes you just have to take a longer tour because that's what's coming in. So it's a constant. It's it has been a constant balance, and we just. Uh, sent our second kid to college, so there, we are empty nesters. Oh, there we go. Really,
0: there we go. Really well, now you guys can hit the road together. Yeah, or can or it. kill each other if you're dead.
1: I'm happy to say that we still like each other. We went on a vacation together in April, and we were like, "Hey, this is going to be all right." Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I've been traveling with someone lately, and I
0: have not killed her yet. It cannot go well. <laughs> yeah. I've tried it. I've thought about it, but I have not. Um, so. You've been all around the world. What cities, atmospheres, environments are where 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 does it kick? Where are mm. you like, oh, mm-hmm. this resonates right mm-hmm. here? Cause yeah. no offense to jazz, but what has happened to jazz? It's not in the fifties up mm. through maybe I guess the mid seventies or so. Mm. It was avant-garde, mm. and now it seems only the avant garde of the avant garde listen to avant garde jazz, uh-huh. and what you typically listen to seems, you know, couched in the traditional and nostalgia. Mm. Like, I don't, I so personally don't listen to any new jazz because it sounds just like old jazz. And, and
1: how would you, the only way you would really know what's What's really nice, what's really exciting and fun and and interesting to listen to now is if you were out hanging in the clubs, if that was the thing that you like to do in your free time is to be out in the clubs. So that's really the crux of the issue, I think, is is the culture has moved away from going out to listen to jazz. You know, even in my career, there up until about the mid 90s there were still clubs all over this country where, where people would just say, hey, let's, let's go hear some jazz tonight. And they would just go down to their local club. Right. And there would be a, a local rhythm section and maybe a guy like me or, or uh, me and another guy who were traveling together who were making, who were making a trip around to some different Oh, clubs. really? Yeah. I
0: didn't know that's how it worked. Because yeah. that was like when I was going out
1: to the clubs and stuff like that yep. when there were yeah. when hundreds we- of them in New York yeah and and at least 3 in most major cities right life. so i would play i would play at the sort of village vanguard equivalent with a band that was traveling yep and then in the interim and i wasn't teaching at this time in the interim i could go around to the to the other club to the to the smalls to the local to the smalls yeah and and play with the local rhythm section and we just play together for that weekend and have a ball and and make some money and go home and it was that was a really fun way for me to travel as a soloist uh i did not know that's that's how it worked yeah that unfortunately that that's that uh, part of our culture has has kind of faded away, which is too bad. Those clubs can't. Most of them are gone. Most of them have closed. Well, I, I mean, and
0: just live music in general. It's like you know the bands that you know, and you go and yeah. see them at the mid to upper level mm. venues, right. but there's no wetlands anymore right. or continental is oh, the continental oh it's <laughs> it been still be no there. it's still there but it's just been all cleaned CBG up and sent cbgb yeah. is now yeah, a Northern john World varvato's World. store <laughs> uh and even 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 the smaller ones like uh bowery ballroom mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. still like bigger name brand yeah. bands are there yeah. there's where do you do it do you do it? Is it over? Is it all digital now? Do you just survive on, wow, now we're getting really deep?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there is, a lot of, there is a lot of change in the business. And I think in the jazz world, one of the biggest changes, changes in the business side is the business people are more, are more trying to sell fame and celebrity mm-hmm. than the music itself. And that's been an unfortunate development for jazz because really the point is not the celebrity of the guys playing, but the quality of the music that they're playing. Right. That that should be, that's certainly, well, I guess I was going to say that's certainly the the way it's done in the classical world, although you do have celebrity soloists and celebrity conductors who do draw. Yeah. You've
0: got like your Guild Shahams and like, is that how you pronounce his last name? I don't know. I I don't know. know. Uh, He's a violinist. Yeah. Yeah. Apologies for the uh, background noise. Apparently, a uh, construction crew just set up outside of our windows. So, uh, but you. you know what? Gotta love Yeah, it. you know what? Y'all, you're getting New York flavor. So, uh yes. f- forget about it forget is that what we say <laughs> i don't even know um what's your favorite club what's what's so, uh, so i asked earlier yeah. what cities are resonating what yeah, like cities are popping kind of circling yeah, around the questions yeah. fun. uh what's your what's your what's your favorite club in your favorite
1: city or both or either or whichever way it works yeah there's a few uh, it, you know there's a lot of them so I'll, I'll have to leave somebody out but smalls here in the city what uh speaking about the digital question They did. They were one of the the first adopters of the of the live live stream. Smalls was everything. Everything at Smalls is recorded for posterity, and everything at Smalls is live streamed. Is it? Yeah. I go to Smalls all the time, and I never even knew that. Yeah. Be careful what you say when you're up near the stage.
0: The last time I was there, I was sitting
1: right next to the stage. Yeah. If you talk during the performance, there are people all over the world who can see you doing that. Are you kidding me? Most of the camera is focused on the band. I think I was
0: (laughs) making fun of this German girl next to me the whole time. It could be trouble, man. I'm like, ja, Christina, wie geht's? Was ist los? (laughs) Alles gut. And she's like, like, Austin, you're not funny. I'm like, you are not
1: either. (laughs) (laughs) So they, Smalls, whenever I play at Smalls, I'll be there this week. Uh, Are you? uh, Yeah, I'm playing on Thursday, if you feel like hanging out, the 1030 sets. Yep, done. Beautiful. Is that good? Yep. Oh lovely. Well Awesome. So I can't I can't wait. We'll uh, go down and have a hug in front of the camera. Oh my so god, yeah. <laughs>
0: oh this is oh oh absolutely. I cannot wait. Yes, I haven't been there in a couple months and
1: I, I would... yes. Yeah. Beautiful. That's Dave Ambrosio's band. Um, awesome. Very nice band. I'm proud to be part of that group. Uh so not only there's just a lot to love about Smalls it's run by Spike Wilner, who's a musician he is trying to look after the musicians trying to do things in a way that's fair and, and good for the musicians he's also kept the price low enough that the yeah. students can hang
0: yeah it's, uh, it's always 20 bucks to get in right and it's
1: always full which
0: yes is always Fantastic. 20 bucks to get in always and and um not very recently, but fairly recently renovated. It's wa- more yeah. wide open than it used to be. But still pretty funky. But still pretty nice. funky. Yeah. yeah, the bar. The bar used to be in the back corner, right?
1: There As were two different. There was the, yeah, yeah, there
0: was the little one in the. They had the little one in the front. That was when it was BYO. Remember? Yes, I do. Yeah, they had the little one in the front, and they had juices and sodas. Oh, man, you you did go in early. Days. I did. Yeah. I did. That yeah. was that was like when I was in high school. Uh-huh. We'd come down. All yeah. the other friends would go to like tunnel and exit and you know remember all those uh, uh, yeah wait uh what was the one? Oh uh limelight li- oh well limelight of course i went to limelight but yeah. exit is now terminal 54 uh-huh. yeah, so that's, uh that's
1: completely past and,
0: my time and <laughs> and tunnel tunnel is yeah i
1: remember tunnel. Yeah. i never went but i remember the but name i went to limelight i,
0: it was I went to limelight once but everyone else would go like dude we're going down the city we're going to limelight and we're yeah. going to like exit and yeah. i'm like We're going to go to smalls. Nice. And we're going to go buy beer at a bodega because they don't check ID and blah, blah, blah. Except, actually, everyone else said we're going to go buy beer at a bodega. I didn't drink in high school. Uh I'm like, no, I'm keeping my body pure. What
1: the hell was I thinking? (laughs) Jesus Christ. Well, at least that's not going to come back and bite you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, "Mm
1: -hmm." no, wait, we said we weren't going to talk about (laughs) this.
0: No, you guys are wasting your minds with alcohol. Now I'm like, I I haven't, Bring had, it on. I haven't had a drink in seven minutes. <laughs> um, yeah. Well for everyone listening, by the way, when you come to New York, make it to smalls. Make it to small jazz every night uh, till late sets the last in sets 1am la- yeah. mm. and one of the greatest things about Smalls is if you go in that late set that's when all the other jazz musicians mm. who got done with their gigs come to Smalls and yep. get up on stage I've seen everyone Everybody. there yeah. you know, I've seen Roy Hargrove come yeah, up there a, he's a hanger I remember, uh, I remember once uh, uh, a guy just comes in and he's holding a door I'm like what is this is Savian Glover. Ah, he so came. To, he, came in, dance. He, he put his nice. door down yeah. and he took over for the rhythm section. It there was amazing. Yeah. yeah, just felt like hanging. Yeah. Got to love it. Well, let's let's go to some other
1: places around the world yeah. then so Small's is Obviously one we can yeah. For we're, sure. We're ju- we could just talk about Small's the whole time. And then I have a very special place in my heart for body and soul in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. The the we call her Mama San, the Seki Kyoko, Kyoko Seki, she's the she's the owner and operator. She's been running this jazz club since probably 75, I want to say, mm-hmm. 1975 or 6 somewhere in there. And in 83, I was an exchange student in Tokyo. And I was just kind of I was just kind of getting close to realizing that that this was something I wanted. This is where it's this at. This is getting there. I had been taking some lessons with Charlie Shoemaker and Bobby Bradford and starting to get a handle on being able to play a little bit. And I was hanging out at Body and Soul. I met a guy who was who took me over there and introduced me to her and, and invited me to come join him on his gigs. And she, um, so Mama-san, after I'd hung out there maybe three times, and I'm 20 years old, she says to me, Timu, which means, Tim, after you practice a little bit more, come back. <laughs> and I got to say, that was probably... That's pretty hurtful. It was probably the most motivating thing anybody said. To uh, yeah, me. That's, uh, that's... that's great. that's great. Pretty, that's
0: pretty fierce from, J- from Japanese, Very right? Very direct <laughs> into to the point.
1: Didn't, didn't hedge your bets on that one, did no. you? And... And so what happened from that was I started really practicing and really trying to get a bunch of tunes together so that when I went back, whatever the piano player wanted to play, I'd be able to play it. And at a certain point, I was practicing on a park bench in Koen, which is kind of uh, western Tokyo, famous place for the cherry blossoms, and... And I'm there on a park bench and it's, it's, it, I'm, I, I'm in a routine. I do this every day. I take a coffee and, and now it's starting to get cold as we're entering November. And I'm sitting on my park bench in November with gloves with the tips cut off and a pocket warmer and a hat and a big coat. And I'm looking at myself going, man, I seem to really want to do this. And that was one of those sort of moments where I realized, okay, I, I seem to want this enough. And body and soul kicked that in for body you. Body and soul made that happen. And so I went back after six months. I waited six months. And, and when I went back, the, the, one of the tunes that I'd been practicing was the one he started playing without asking me what I wanted to do. He, just, he was old school. He just started playing. If you can hang, you know, you can hang. <laughs> and, uh, and I knew I had just learned the tune he was playing. And so I was able to, to come back in. And she had a big smile on her face and said, you know, okay, you're, you're good. And I've been playing at that club for 40 years now. I go there every oh year. Oh, my God. She's like my musical mother. Ah,
0: that's so great. Yeah. I've, got a, I've, got a, uh, I've got a Jeopardy! stage mother. Uh, her, oh, dude. Yeah, her name's Maggie, and Maggie is, Maggie is the absolute best. Yeah. Uh, and Maggie and my mom are doppelgangers because uh. they're like, you're a Margaret Ann? I'm a Margaret Ann. <laughs> what do you think about that? I'm like, oh, God, there's two of them. <laughs> oh, no. I've got, I've got a West Coast one and an East Coast one. <laughs> one yeah, that's nice that's nice Austin what are you doing I'm like why why do they sound like that now yeah. <laughs> actually my mom sort of does sound like that doesn't she I don't know whatever nice uh yeah no so I've got a, I got a, I got a little stage mom too that's yeah, a good thing
1: <laughs> it is a good thing it yeah. keeps you grounded All right, so I have her and she passed away unfortunately but my homestay mother was my sort of third mother mm-hmm. and she's the one who really taught me to speak Japanese nice so yeah that was an incredible experience
0: uh, give me one more club. One more place to go if you're... Uh, let's, let's give one, uh, one more in the United States because that's our predominant listener base.
1: Uh, in the United States. I was, so let me get there. I, I want to say, just generally speaking, going to Germany. When, when, I, when I go that's to Germany... That's not the play, United no, I'll States. Get there, no, I'll get there. Don't worry. <laughs> we I, got there once before, too. I just wanted to shout out to Germany yeah. that, that when, I, when I go to Germany, the feeling usually when the band takes the stage, is the audience is there waiting for you to wow them. Yeah. They're they're attentive. They're on the edge of their seat. They can't wait to, to just have you place your best. Educated listeners. Educated, sometimes too much educated. You'll hear jazz musicians joke about, but... But really the, they want you to play your absolute best. They're they're ready for you to do that. You don't have to you don't have to convince them. They just wanna they're really supportive and, and ready for you. I you know I love I love being that
0: kind of listener where, you know, I usually I used to go all the time with one of my uh my best friends, Kevin, and we used to go to the jazz clubs yeah. all the time, and like you you'd you'd sit there. And you'd hear during the solo, someone throws out a quote Mm. and you'd get two feelings. The first Uh. feeling was like, no, you'd get three feelings. Uh. The first feeling was like, I got the quote. Got it. The second feeling was me looking at Kevin and did he us, get it? we got the quote. We got it. Ooh. And then the third one was us looking at the rest of the audience and be like, it, they, they didn't they get did it. Yeah. Get <laughs> yeah. So three feelings like I got it. He got it. We got it. They didn't uh, get it. Uh, I love I it's it's so it's so snide
1: and arrogant to get that feeling. But like but, but it also kind of puts you in the arena with the musicians. I think yeah, that's the satisfaction. Yeah, it, it,
0: brings, it brings it if, brings if you're if you're one of those guys who's that engaged it brings you back into that conversation and now you're like and maybe maybe you were actually losing track of it and you were like sort of losing losing the flow of it Mm. and then you throw that quote in and him and I got it and we're Mm. like I'm back in this show and I'm back in
1: hard because they just gave me me a personal nod you know yeah so if we go back to the states I guess I'll have to say Blues Alley where's that that's down in Washington yeah and that's where I saw it's still going hasn't succumbed they're still producing proper jazz and and and, uh, and still going strong. And that's where I heard Dexter Gordon, <sighs> Dizzy Gillespie, uh, Woody Herman, Stan Getz. What? All those kinds of people. When I was in high school, they would come through and, and usually bringing a band. And uh, Michelle Petrucciani. Some of the guys I play with now, I heard for the first time at at... Uh, at that's
0: that's absurd I I, that's I I wish I had I wish I had like 10 years on myself because when I was old enough to appreciate the music those guys were one old mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and two yeah. doing the blue note for a hundred dollars a night exactly. you know yeah. so like I'm like is it is it worth it? Is it actually worth it to see them go through, you know, uh, you know, see, oh God, is he is is uh, is, is Sonny Rollins gonna do but up up do da do da but that was Saint yeah. Thomas, Saint Thomas, yeah. I'm like, is he gonna do it? Uh, yep, sure, he did it. And <laughs> you know, the one time I saw him, I'm like, is he gonna do it? Is he gonna do it? Sure, of course he did it. Uh, but it wasn't special. You I weren't you. discovering it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's so I gotta listen to more jazz. Other, I gotta listen to more new jazz. Smalls
1: mm. and the Vanguard are pretty. The are Vanguard's pretty, awesome. Yeah, they're pretty dependable. I don't really need to know who's playing at the Vanguard or Smalls. I yeah. can just I check usually and, and choose pick and I, I do pick and choose. In fact, I, I just recently started posting on Instagram where I'm going to hang out every week, uh, just as a way of kind of saying, here are the here are the things that I see in the New York schedule this week that look interesting to me. What's your Instagram? So people can hop I'm, along on that. I'm Tim, under, or T underscore Armacost. Yeah. And the hashtag we use is, is hashtag Tuesdays on the scene. Hashtag Tuesdays on the scene. Because I post it on a Tuesday. Got it. So, well, I look at their listings, and and, and if I'm going to hang out, this is where I'll be. That's kind of the idea. And, of course, if I'm playing, I, I post that, too. Awesome.
0: And uh, what, so what's what's next? What's on the, what's on the next burner for uh, Tim Armacost?
1: Well, at the moment, we have this new record from... NYSQ New York Standards Quartet Heaven Steps to Seven. That's our seventh recording as a leader. So we're we're that just got released in Europe. It'll be released uh, this month in the states, and it's coming out on LP, which I just nice. love. Nice. So that's not till this uh, is uh, November. T-
0: this is taped in October. I do not know the exact air uh-huh. date, but right. okay. by the time you listen to by this, the time you
1: hear this, probably this record will be a massive hit. World Heaven Steps to
0: Seven will be out on your online portals because that's where everyone buys everything
1: these right. days on the
0: Amazons. Is yes. yes. and um, where can we find some of your work on the YouTube's and the stuffs like that? Uh,
1: you can look for you can Google Tim Armacost and find a whole bunch of different things on, on YouTube you can Google or you can go to YouTube and put in New York Standards Quartet or NYSQ and find videos and, and various things from the band and of course we have a website NYSQ.org TimArmacost.com. those are all places where you can find information about the music awesome and uh, travel wise I've got invitations to Chile and Sudan and Japan and uh, we're talking about a couple other countries on the Africa trip, but they're not confirmed. They're not confirmed yet. So all, all, I'll uh, not jinx it.
0: Well, this has been
1: absolutely amazing. I too, love yeah. talking. To talk to I
0: love talking to you know musicians who don't do the music that I do. Uh-huh. And I hope everyone enjoyed this. And please, please, please look up Tim Armacost because he is just a really freaking cool guy. <laughs> this has been awesome. Thanks so much. Thank awesome. you so much. Good night or good morning. I don't even know. <laughs> when, whatever.